ready for God's Word? I'm going to minister a word today that I believe is just a word in due season. The title of this message today is Open Your Eyes. Open your eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to minister God's word today. We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for this book called the Bible. Thank you that you love us so much that you wrote a book about yourself so we wouldn't be intimidated, we wouldn't be overwhelmed, we wouldn't back off, but we would understand your plan, your love, your purpose for each one of us. So as we open up this amazing book, we thank you for talking to us today, giving it to us straight helping us to understand, challenge us, encourage us, cause us by your spirit to never again be the same. And we believe your word will fall on good ground today, and, and it'll produce much fruit for your honor and for your glory. We thank you, Father God, we are alive, active, and energized here in the room, up in the cafe, in our homes today, for your honor and for your glory. All of God's people said, amen. amen. If you have your Bible, your favorite digital device, you can turn to John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to turn there in a minute. Our scriptures will be up on the screen in just a moment. And in John chapter 4, we're going to hear uh, about a pretty famous story in the Bible that really gives us some great understanding about God's heart. And um, I want to take a moment before that and, and really set up this text. I believe the information and details that I want you to understand will only enhance our ability to really um, connect with the heart of God today with the heart of Jesus. And that's always a good thing to do, to come to church, right? And, and reconnect with God's heart. Reconnect with, with the Lord's heart, and uh, because we know His heart can change any other heart. Before we do, let me get, our big, get to our big takeaway. Here's what we're going to unpack today. If God answered all your prayers, would it change the world, or would it just change you? That's pretty thought-provoking, isn't it? Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> if God answered all your prayers, would it change the world or would it just change you? In John 4, we read a story of the woman at the well. We don't know her name. For whatever reason, we don't, we're not given her name. We only know her as the woman at the well. It's, it's an amazing story. I won't go through all of it. Uh, but just one particular part that I really want to come alive to you today. Jesus' and the disciples had finished a very busy day of ministry. They're tired. They're hungry. And the Bible says that the disciples had gone to town to buy groceries, to buy food, and they were going to come back and they were going to enjoy a meal together. This is one of those rare exceptions that Jesus is not with his disciples. He stays back. He's hungry, he's thirsty, he's tired, he spots a well, he goes to that well to, desiring something to drink, and while he goes to that well, meeting him there at the well is this Samaritan woman. Now, it's unusual because it's noon, and people don't typically go to the well at noon, it's too hot. They usually go in groups, they go in the morning, they go when the sun goes down. She typically went during the afternoon, which tells us she wasn't well received in her community. Um, they were, she was judged by her lifestyle, judged by her, her past, and so she usually went during the noontime so that she would be by herself, never expecting to come across Jesus, never expecting to have this encounter with the Lord. Jesus sparks up a conversation with her, and they begin to talk, which right away 
is unusual right away is not the norm of that day uh, because men typically didn't talk to women and women were looked down upon as just something to own like you know livestock but Jesus presses through all that nonsense and he breaks the gender barrier by talking to him to her and then he also breaks the racial barrier by talking to a Samaritan woman Samaritans were very much hated and despised by the Jews for, for many reasons, but nonetheless, Jesus presses through and breaks through all these cultural norms, and I love that about Jesus. He's always surprising people and refusing to be confined by the cultural norms of the day. Isn't that a great example for all of us? And I appreciate that very much. Jesus asks this woman for some water, and uh, so she gives him some water. They carry on a conversation. And Jesus asks her, she said, um, uh, where's your husband? Why don't you go get your husband? And so she responds, I don't have a husband. And he responds back, you're right. You've actually had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not your husband. She responds to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. How, how in depth of her, right? Uh, I perceive you're a prophet. And basically she said, you just read my mail and I don't know how you did that. That's the Del Turco version. You just read my mail and I don't know how you did that. And so she's so impressed with this and she's overwhelmed by this. And we pick up the story in John 4, 27. Just then his disciples came back. Remember, they went to go buy groceries. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? I think when I first read this, this is kind of unusual because John, who wrote this um, uh, gospel, is looking back. I imagine him looking back at this event as he's writing this event. And as he's writing this event, it's almost like he has regrets. It's almost like, why didn't we have the nerve to ask him? Why didn't we talk to him about what was going on, why he was talking to this woman? Because, you know, Jesus did nothing by accident. He did everything on purpose, right? He only said what he heard his father say. He only did what he saw his father do. So the fact that he was talking to this woman was significant. It was not something just to waste time. And I thought, interesting how John is looking back and wishing they would have had the nerve, wishing they would have asked what was going on here. In verse 28, he goes on to say, the woman left her water jar, which is significant because that's why she was there. You just don't leave your water jar hanging around. She was so impacted by this conversation. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village Remember, the village that rejects her went back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I think it's significant because obviously she was impacted. Obviously, her, her life was suddenly changed by this exchange, 
And something happened so much so that she convinced the town people, I mean, you gotta come out here and see this guy. You gotta come out and see, could he be God? Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one we're searching for? Could it be the one we're waiting for? And so this experience is taking place and her life is being changed and transformed. And picture with me as, as the town people, here's the well, and the town people begin to, to come and, and follow her. It says in verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. So picture here, the disciples and Jesus are, are, are standing here. Here is the well, and here comes these folks streaming. We don't know how many, but streaming. There's a line of people following this Samaritan woman who is so convinced her life has been changed, and, and there, this, is, this is happening in real time, and the disciples aren't getting it. The disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Wow. They had food on their minds. Again, they were missing the moment, just like John was regretting why we didn't ask what was going on so we could have been more in tune with what Jesus was doing. Jesus does something here that he often has done before. If you brought up a topic, Jesus would use that topic as a metaphor to teach a spiritual truth. And here's what he does here. They bring up food, and Jesus responds in verse 32. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Well, they're still consumed with being hungry. They still don't get it. He basically says to them, I would rather reach this town than go to lunch right now. And verse 33 says, did someone bring him food while we were gone? I mean, this is funny. This is like they are totally clueless. And the disciples asked each other, what's going on? I thought he was going to wait for us to eat. Who fed him? Who gave him food? Who, who gave him something to eat? Definitely, they, had, they were concerned about Jesus not having food, but they were very consumed with the fact that their bellies were rumbling. Amen? Have, not, have you ever not eaten all day long? What's on your mind? Five guys. Right? Five guys. Man, there's a, there's a, a flay somewhere in your future when you have food on your mind. So Jesus knows this and he tries again. Verse 34. He says, Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Say those three words with me. Finishing his work. Say it again. Finishing his work. My nourishment, my food, what feeds me, what brings me satisfaction is what? It's to finish his work, right? This guy, you need to know what's, what's, what inspires me. You need to know what gets me beyond my drama and gets me beyond all my experiences and gets me beyond all my distractions. The thing that feeds me, the thing that gives me nourishment, the thing that brings me satisfaction, the thing that helps me stay focused in a, in a world that's run crazy, in a world that's overwhelming and uncertain, the thing that, that does that for me is doing the work of Jesus. And he came to what? To win the lost and heal the sick. That's why Jesus shed his blood. That's why he suffered and died. That's why he rose again. To what? 
Heal the sick and win the lost. Say it with me. Heal the sick and win the lost. That's his purpose. That's his heart. That's why he came. And that's what he was consumed with, everything about him, even going without food and being exhausted when he saw the needs of people, when he saw a stream of people coming from a village led by a Samaritan woman who was despised and and had no clue. And here she was. Her life was being changed. That fed him. That got him excited. Man, that got him pumped up. You kidding me? Lunch can wait. We're gonna, we got a revival happening over here. We're going to see some souls get saved and some bodies get healed and some lives get changed, right? And he's saying, man, this is what turns me on. This is the stuff that makes me excited. This is the stuff that keeps me focused. This is the stuff that, that helps me. And, and, and he says, guys, I'm hungry like you are, but there's work to be done. Guys, you are totally missing this moment. And then there's a, a local colloquialism or a, a saying in the Bible days in verse 35. He says, you know the saying, for months, four months between planting and harvest. Now, if you look this up, you'll realize this was the term back in the day for people who were procrastinators. We got four months. What's the big deal? We don't got to do this now. We can wait. We'll get to it, but we don't need to do it now. And he's telling them, man, he was in essence saying, guys, you're not getting the picture here. You're procrastinating. You're allowing other things. Maybe it's not as urgent as it needs to be for you because we, after all, we have four months to get this done. Wow. And we we don't have to do it right now. Verse 35, Jesus finally says to the disciples, you know the, uh, the saying, four months between planting and harvest. Look what he says. But I say, wake up. Look around. Another translation says, open your eyes. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Man, they were, they, were, they were sleepy because they were hungry. They were sleepy because they were distracted. They were sleepy because they were caught up in their own drama. They were not aware. They were, they were, they were asleep, and they didn't realize what the need that was right around them. They didn't realize the assignment that they, they had, and, and they were so consumed with needs and appetites and so consumed with the things that were lacking and the things that were uncertain and the, and the belly that was making rumbling noises. You know, they didn't get it. And he was saying to them, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to look around. It's time to open up your eyes because the harvest is ripe or white for the harvesting right for the time. And most times we come to church, and I get why many of us come to church. We come to church because we have, we have needs. We come to church because we're discouraged. We come to church because we have issues going on in our lives. We come to church because sometimes church is that last thing that we do. We tried all week long to do this ourselves, but we realize, man, maybe it might be time for God to say something here. Maybe it might be time to intersect with God again and to get my worship back and get my worship on and and get my heart right and make some commitments and refocusing and dedicating my life back to him again. And so so we, we realize oftentimes we come to church because we're in need of encouragement. We're in need that we need to hear a word from heaven, and we're believing uh, that person who speaks today will speak into my life and encourage me. All of that is extremely important. But in all honesty today, today's message is not that message. Today's message is not that message. 
I am well aware. I am an encourager by nature. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sis boom cheerleader kind of guy. There's no doubt about that. In fact, I'm convinced that if Jesus had the opportunity to speak to the church today, he'd say, your needs are obviously very important to me, but I would love for you to open up your eyes and not just see it just about you, about what you could see, but I would love for you to take a moment and get your eyes off yourself and connect with my heart. The disciples weren't connecting. They were like totally disconnected. They weren't in the same vibe as their Lord and Savior was that day. Please listen to my heart this morning. And, 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 and IFC does not just exist for you. It doesn't. Now, please don't get mad at me today. You can stick your, thought, your, 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 your uh, tongue out at me and I wouldn't know it. You can frown at me today. You can do whatever you want to do and, and frankly, help yourself, okay? Because I can't see it anyways. Um, so whatever. But, but understand today, we don't exist for us, but the world that's around us. How many times will we said that IFC is a life-giving church? And what is a life-giving church? A life-giving church is for people that have not arrived here yet. Oh, it is for you. Don't get me wrong. And you know that if you've been here any length of time. But it's not just for you. And if you came to church just for you today, you're going to be missing it. You're already thinking about lunch. Yeah, five guys. But I pray that you'll open up your heart today. Listen very carefully. We exist not just for us, but for the world that's around us. How many believe that today? Yeah. Of course you believe that. Absolutely you believe it. That's why our, generation, our generosity goes from the neighborhoods to the nations. If we're not careful, especially right now, after one year into a worldwide pandemic that caused us to isolate and internalize and think mainly about ourselves... And so we are products of the fact that we have been so into us. And I get it. We got to be safe. We got we to be diligent and vigilant and, and, and do all the social distancing and wash our hands and, and, and all those things and so forth. And I've had more than one person say, Pastor, is it safe to go to church? Let me tell you something. It's more safe to come to IFC than go to Walmart. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you something, We're, we got a down pat, we got a team that knows what, exactly what they're doing, amen. And if we're not careful, we will, we will allow the, the, the situation around us to squeeze us into being something that we were never meant to be. It's time to wake up, look around, and open up your eyes. Oh, I pray you're here in my heart today. And I pray you're willing to receive this word today. And I pray that you're willing to understand the heart of God and the heart of your pastor today. Here's a spiritual disease the Bible actually talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1. Here, Peter lists eight godly qualities we need to be effective and productive in our walk with God. I would encourage you to go back and read that today because it's very important and it's great reading and, and really something you can believe God for in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter 1, 9, after he lists these qualities, he talks about what happens when you don't have these qualities. 
First, Second Peter chapter nine, uh, verse one. Second Peter one nine says, "For whoever lacks these qualities, you can read it for yourself. These eight qualities is blind, spiritually nearsighted, seeing only what is near to him, and has become oblivious to the fact." that he was cleansed from his old sins. You know how easy it is to forget where you came from? How easy it was to forget what it was like to be bound by sin and to have constant guilt and shame on you? How is it? Isn't it just well, the, the, the lies of the devil that told you you were no good and, and then Jesus forgave you from your sins? He set you free. He washed you white as snow. He gave you a, a home in heaven and a reason to live, amen, right? And, a, and an opportunity to identify with Christ and to, to be this new creation. And if we're not careful, we can be so nearsighted and so into ourselves that we forget about, we become oblivious to where we came from. We become oblivious to the work of Christ in our lives and so consumed with all around us. See, one of the reasons why I wear glasses is to correct my nearsightedness. So I, I need these glasses because I'm nearsighted. So when I went to the eye doctor, the eye doctor says, we, I, I know exactly what you need. You're nearsighted. I said to the, I said to the eye doctor, no, 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 no. I don't have near problems. I have far problems. What do you mean I'm nearsighted? He said, no, that's what we call it. The condition that you have is you're nearsighted. I said, why don't you call it for what it is? Right? It's so confusing. Right? They puff, do the puff of smoke in your, in, your eye, in, uh, you know, that in your eye to check for whatever they're checking, and you're like blinded, and they put drops in your eyes. And uh, Anyways. So I, I can see the details of my iPad I see the lint and all the spit marks from two services. It's all there. I can, I can show you later, right? Um, it's you that I have an issue with. So the glasses corrects my vision. No, oh, look how clear you are. Good-looking faces is the part that I can see, right? So we understand that. So that's, in essence, Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, you're nearsighted. See, without my glasses, I, I, can, I can see clearly the details, but it's the faraway things. It's the bigger picture. See, we focus on things that are real close to us and real clear to us. See, if we don't see or care to see something, we don't feel responsible for that. So they end up, we end up living in a world that we choose to see. Well, it's easy not to see that part of the world. It's easy not to see that part of the world. It's easy not to see something I can't relate to. And it's only, it's very easy to see what I can relate to in my little world and, and what I feel responsible for. And we have to be very careful because we choose the world that we desire to live in. Three things happen when we become spiritually nearsighted. Number one, we get blinded by our own needs. We get blinded by our own needs when we're nearsighted. We can tell we are spiritually nearsighted by what dominates our conversation and how we pray. What was our big takeaway? If God answered all my prayers, would it change the world or would it change me? I'm just like you. 
I spend plenty of time praying about me. I'm no different than you are. But this convicted me. This said, what would change? I think I would change more than my world around me would change more. If I could be honest with you today. And so this inspires me. This says, okay, wait a minute. Am I really praying the prayers that, that is the heart of God? Or if I'm just talking about me and only the things I have need of? Wow. Most of us are praying about what matters to us rather than what matters to God. When we are nearsighted, it's, Lord, my feelings, Lord, my drama, Lord, my family, Lord, my anxieties, Lord, my bills, Lord, my fears, me, 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 me. And please understand, God cares about every detail of your life. He really does. But he also cares for all those that are right around us who are overwhelmed and far from God. Amen. The hope of the gospel is not just for you. The hope of the gospel, the plan of the gospel is to heal you, is to restore you, is to bless you so much that you in turn can be the solution to the hurting world around you. Amen. That's the hope of the gospel. It's not just for you. God's plan is that the gospel does such a complete work inside of every one of us that we can bring the good news of the gospel to every person around us. You're being healed and restored and blessed has never meant to be, is never meant to end with you. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Let me tell you something. Bible increase, Bible prosperity is never meant to be an end. It's always the beginning of how to live life to the fullest. Amen. If you make prosperity, increase, abundance, as your goal and your end just to buy that house, just to buy that nice car, just to have that fancy vacation, just to get that new person, that, those shoes that match. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if that's your end goal, that's not Bible prosperity. We're missing it by a mile. We're missing it forever. It's, it's, you, are, you are blessed to do what? Be a blessing. You're blessed so now you can start to make a difference and you can pray for and, and, and love on and support those orphans and those missionaries and, and the homeless and, 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 and all the various wonderful things that we get to do with our money. Please understand, it can't be a means to an end. It's, it's just the beginning. That's good preaching, whether you like it or not. Amen. That's the gospel. The second thing that happens when we're spiritually nearsighted, we become isolated and we forget about others. Man, that's why it's so important to go on a mission trip. Serving in food pantries, feeding the homeless, serving others are so important. My first mission trip, I was 16 years old and about to be 17. And 27 of us teenagers went on a mission trip to Monterey, Mexico for a month. And I would encourage every parent who has a teenager... You send your child on a mission trip. I, I implore you in Jesus' name. We'll get back to our mission trips. We'll get back to all that, absolutely, whether home or abroad. But, I, but you need to transform my life. That's where I met my wife. That's where in my senior year of high school, when I was running from God or running from the call of God in my life, it helped me start that senior year focused 
focused on my purpose and focused on God's plan for my life. Amen. My whole perspective of life changed the first time I saw a family of five living in a refrigerator box. Sierra Leone, West Africa. And it was, it was a dump where these folks lived. I mean, it was a garbage dump. Piles of garbage, three floors high, intertwined and riding, riding through this garbage dump. Man, it, it, it so blew my mind. I had no, no experience. I had nothing to relate it to. Uh, the smells, the sound, it was, it was an overload in my senses. And, and, and to meet this family of five that lived in this refrigerator box, I just, I, I was overwhelmed. The first time in Laogon, Haiti, when I visited a leper colony. Uh, again, talking about an overload, a sensory overload, the smells, the cries, the, the sight, the sound, the fact that I was there to, to pray and touch people. It was overwhelming. It changed my perspective. The first time at the LA Dream Center and to be in Skid Row and to see these blocks and blocks of homeless people living in tent and cardboard and little house. I mean, I was, I, it, it changes you. You need to see this. We need to experience this. Especially those of us in the States, man, we need to understand this. We really do. See, we become so isolated and so comfortable in our little world that we don't see certain things and we have no sense of responsibility for it because we don't see it. Meeting the needs of others changes you. You're not so quick to complain. You're not so quick to judge. It changes the way you pray. changes the way you give. To wake up and look around and open up your eyes is, is transforming. Last but not least, the third thing that happens when we are near, spiritually nearsighted, we get away from the heart of the one we love. Amen. How many of us love Jesus this morning? Of course we do. If so, and you're in a relationship with Jesus, or honestly in any relationship, right? It's not about them loving you, but it's also about you loving them as well. Amen. Jesus is definitely concerned about what we're going through, but he's, he's, he, he wants us to, those of us that are lovers of Jesus, we need to ask, God, what are you concerned about? What's on your heart? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Ever prayed what's on his heart? What he wants you to pray about? Listen very carefully. God loves us unconditionally, but there's no doubt about that. But, he, but as much as he loves you, his eyes are not only on you. Let me close with this example today. Thinking about this and how to bring this whole message into focus today. There's a verse of scripture in Matthew 24. Jesus was asked by his disciples, what will be the sign of your coming in the edge of the age? And Jesus begins to share with them some of the signs that there'll be. And let's read one of them in verse 12 in Matthew 24. It says, because of an increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Man, it's a verse of scripture we see being played out as we speak. Let's define the word wickedness. The state of being wicked, a mental disregard for justice, righteousness, truth, honor, and virtue. 
evil in thought and life, depravity, sinfulness. Oh, wow. That's quite a definition. The word cold in this verse means to become hard like concrete. To become hard like concrete. This verse is referring to those who are involved in wickedness and those who have been affected by wickedness. Maybe you're not involved in wickedness. Maybe you don't have a state of being wicked or this mental disregard for justice, righteousness, truth, honor, and virtue. And maybe there's not depravity in your life and so forth. But you know what? We're all affected by it. And whether you're involved with it or whether you've been affected by it, it affects every single one of us. Don't allow other people's wickedness. Don't allow other people's lawlessness, which is another word for wickedness, their disregard, their indifference, their anger, their sin, their cynicism make your heart cold because once your heart becomes cold, it's just a matter of time before it gets hard. And when it gets hard, you need a major encounter with God to blow up that hard heart. So all the more we need to be sensitive, all the more we need to not be so nearsighted, not be so in, in that place where we're short-sighted. You can't show compassion with a cold heart, and you forget where you came from with a cold heart. Because once you were, we were lost and now found, we can be lost again if we're not careful. Meaning saved, but no longer paying attention. Saved, but no longer alert. Saved, but overcome by the cares of this world, saved but being adversely affected by someone else's carelessness, saved but becoming lazy in the flesh and making choices that cause so much suffering in our lives. It's a constant pressure to, to, to not walk in love and to, to be affected by the things that are around us. And here's part of the, part of the cure and solution in Jude one twenty one it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. See, I have to keep myself in the love of God. You can't do that for me. I've got to do that for myself. And the way not to be adversely affected by this world is we've got to keep ourselves in the love of God. And the other thing we have to do is we have to be what? Ambassadors of mercy. We need to be, be merciful people. We need to be people that are not judgmental. We're not judging people that are different than ours. We're showing mercy to people, being ambassadors of mercy. Mercy keeps your heart sensitive. Mercy keeps your heart tender. Mercy keeps that place in your heart that you're open to God because judgment makes your heart hard, right? I don't want to be around people that judge me all the time. And I've got plenty of those folks that are always judging every word I say. I don't want to hang out with those people. Do you? I don't, I don't want to hang out with people that, that if I'm not, you know, certain specifically, you know, um, direct or, or, or descriptive, every little thing, because they have a heart of judgment. And then verse 22 says this, and some of, and, and of some have compassion, of some who need mercy, have compassion. What happens when we have compassion? making a difference. We can make a big difference in our lives today. We really can. Mercy produces compassion. Mercy keeps our heart tender. When we repent, forgive, and believe, and are quick to do it, it keeps our heart tender. 
When we're doers of the word, it keeps our heart tender. When we're generous with our money, we tithe and we give, man, it keeps our heart tender. There's something about when you dedicate yourself to God and you wake up, and I pray today that you wake up and look around and open your eyes because the harvest right around you is ripe, is ready. What was our big takeaway? If God answered all your prayers, what would change? Would the world change? Or would only you change? If God answered all my prayers, would it change the world? Or would it just change me? Wow. Would you close your eyes? Father, in Jesus' name, open our eyes. Help us see. Wake us up. Wake us up out of our slumber. Wake us up out of our fear. Wake us up out of our anxiety. Wake us up out of our distraction. Wake us up out of the appetites that take us all over the map in our emotions. Help us to look around. Open our eyes and see a lost and dying world that needs Jesus. Will you stand to your feet as we close this service today? Will you raise those hands towards heaven for just a moment? And will you talk to God just for a minute? Oh God, my prayers need to change. My prayers have been so much about me, so much about what I'm going through, my aches and pains, my discomfort the things I'm angry about that somebody else is not angry about. Oh God, help me change my prayers. Enlarge my capacity. Help me pray for more than just myself. Help me pray for more than just my needs, us four and no more. Open up my heart, Father. Help me see what you see. Oh, give me your heart today. Lord, transform a cold heart or a lukewarm heart or a distracted heart back to you today. Give us a vision of your heart, a vision of your plan, a vision of you, Lord, and what you came to this earth for us to do. What you lived and died for, may we also live and die for. Oh, Jesus. Come on, talk to him for a moment. Thank you, Father. Here's our heart, Father. Give your heart to him today, afresh and new. Dedicated and afresh and new today. Open up your heart whether you've actually walked in wickedness yourself or you've been affected by it. No more. No more. Open my eyes, Lord. God can't help when he opens up your heart. Your eyes also open up. 